life filled with turmoil and troubled hearts, Christ offers extraordinary comfort to move through this world with hope. Welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Our series is Extraordinary. And today's episode, Extraordinary Comfort. Here's Associate Pastor Josh Masters. Good morning, Brookwood. Are you excited to be here this morning? I'm excited that you're here. I'm also excited I'm here, in case that was unclear. Today we are continuing our series called Extraordinary or Extraordinary, depending on who's saying it and and when you're saying it. But we've been exploring what Jesus's interactions with the disciples can teach us about ordinary people having an encounter with an extraordinary God. And last week we walked through the concept of Sabbath and how Christ offers extraordinary rest from our hurried and busy lives. And we talked actually about having an active rest, remember, that replenishes our souls so that we can more deeply love God and more deeply love others. But that's easier said than done sometimes, isn't it? Not just the love God, love people part. Sometimes entering into that rest is difficult. Because the world continually pushes in on us, doesn't it? The world is constantly pressing in on us. So it's difficult for us to enter that rest. So how do we enter the rest of Christ when we're surrounded by the chaos and lies and troubles of a broken world? How do we learn to trust Christ in such a way that we not only can enter his rest for a few moments, but can actually learn to live in his rest. After last week's week's message, that's probably the most common thing people came and asked. They said, "I, I want to enter that rest, but I don't know how. So that's what I want to look at more deeply and explore more deeply today in a message that I've entitled Extraordinary or Extraordinary Comfort. Extraordinary Comfort. In a life filled with turmoil, and troubled hearts, and we're going to put this line up on the screen. In a life filled with turmoil and troubled hearts, Christ offers extraordinary comfort to move through this world with hope. And leaning into that comfort is how we embrace the perfect rest that we talked about in last week's message. Think about this for a second. When a child is upset, or sick, or overwhelmed, or is hurting. What happens when that mom goes into that child's room and sits on his bed, or lays on the bed with him and rubs his back or scratches his head? The child begins to calm down, right? He enters a more peaceful rest. Why? Why? Because it's his mom. Because He's being comforted by the one person he knows will protect him. He no longer has to keep watch because the comforter is here. The protector is here. And that's exactly the kind of comfort that Christ offers us. When we are troubled, Jesus comforts us with his care and his protection. And that's how Jesus encourages the disciples in the passage that we're going to look at today. 
We're going to be in John chapter 14. John chapter 14. So you can go ahead and turn or swipe there in your Bibles. It's on page uh, 867 if you're using the Bible available here at the Brookwood Bookstore. 867. John 14 and we'll start in verse 1 in just a moment. But as you turn or swipe there, let me go ahead and set the scene for you. This is a very difficult night for the disciples. They're in the upper room with Jesus on the last night that he is with them before he is crucified. It's the same room where Jesus just earlier has washed the disciples' feet as a sort of model of how to care selflessly for other people. And it's the same room where after he finishes the teachings that we're partially going to talk about today, he's going to share the Last Supper with them before he's arrested and heads toward the cross. And in this time before the Lord's Supper, he tells them that he is going to be betrayed and that he's going to be leaving them soon and that he will, in fact, be dying. Judas has already left to carry out that betrayal. And before we enter the story at the beginning of chapter 14, just before we enter the story, what we're going to start reading, Jesus tells Peter that even he will abandon Christ. All of them are going to abandon him. He tells Peter that you will not only abandon me, but you will deny even knowing me three times before this night is over. And the disciples are distressed. The disciples don't understand. They are confused and they are frightened. Anyone ever faced something in their life here that made you confused and frightened? Uncertain where to turn or what to do? not even being able to process everything that's happening to you, that kind of crisis in your life. That's where the disciples are in this moment. They're confused, they're frightened. So Jesus begins to comfort them and he says the most incredible thing in verse one. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. Don't let your hearts be troubled. And the word for be troubled here in Greek is tarasso, tarasso. And it more literally means to stir up, to agitate, to create an inward commotion, like a storm inside your body. Anxiety affects us physically, doesn't it? It's not just something that affects our mind and our thinking. Anxiety and depression and despair, they affect our bodies. It affects us physically, an inward commotion. And our culture not only causes troubled hearts, our culture actually cultivates troubled hearts on purpose. Do you think that the news the evening news is designed to give you peace? No. It's designed for ratings. And social media algorithms are actually programmed. They are programmed to cause you anxiety so that you will continue to click and you will continue to return. They intentionally cause you anxiety. Political division is intentionally hostile to intentionally cause division. You are with us or you are against us. You are with us or you are the enemy 
Get on board or we will destroy you. And the state of the world breeds fear and uncertainty is everywhere. So is it any wonder that we are filled with angst and anxiety? And when we're told to rest in Christ, we don't know how to do it. Yet Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. So based on that verse, what is the antidote to a troubled heart? What is it? Trusting who? God and Jesus, who are the same, of course. So how do we do that? How do we learn to trust him despite all the turmoil in our lives? We do it by leaning into who Christ is. Because understanding who Christ is and what his provision for us is, is greater than the turmoil, but we have to get there. But sometimes we need to be reminded of that, right? When you're in the depth of despair, when the trouble is before you, it is difficult to remember the comfort of Christ. So today we're gonna look at four things. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna look at four things that we can grab hold of when our troubled hearts start to gain ground in our lives. Four things that we can use to remind ourselves. And then at the end of the message, we'll tie it together by saying, what can we do with these four things? We wanna make it a practical thing that we can use after we leave this room. So it's not just do the fill-ins and then throw it in a drawer. We want to have a tool a a mindfulness that we can use to remind ourselves of the promises of Christ. And it's the same reminders that Christ gave the disciples on their last night together. Here's the first one. First one is this. Christ offers extraordinary comfort through his preparation for me. Notice it's in the first person. Make it personal. Christ offers extraordinary comfort through his preparation for me. You could also put the word provision there. Christ not only provides for us here on this life, on this world, in this life, which is what we talked about last week, but he has prepared and secured a place for us in eternity. So after Jesus tells the disciples to trust him, And to not have a troubled heart, he comforts them by telling them why he can be trusted. Verse 2. There is more than enough room in my father's helm. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Now, there are two components to this comforting promise. Notice first, he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then the second part of the promise is, but I will also come back for you. Don't let your hearts be troubled. I know where we're going. I'm going to do all the work and I will never abandon you. I will come back for you. 
Now, when Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, remember, this, is, this conversation is taking place the night he's arrested before he's crucified. So when he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, it can actually refer to two events. And I actually think he is referring to both. First, Christ's sacrifice on the cross prepares and secures our place in eternity. He is heading toward the cross. That's the ultimate preparation for our arrival in eternity. But second, it also does refer to the preparation of eternity itself. Scripture says that Christ will create a new heaven and a new earth. He will create a perfect place for us. So why is it important? Why are those two pieces important? Because in order to be comforted, we need to cling to both. We need to cling to both pieces. Because when you are struggling with a troubled heart, when the darkness of this world starts to edge its way into your thinking, it's easier for us to look at this first comfort and dismiss it in our despair. And we dismiss it in our despair because what despair does is it will whisper to us in our trials here on earth. It will say to us, yes, he's gone to prepare a place for me in heaven, but how does that help me now? Because I'm stuck in the trouble now. And that's why it's so important to understand that the cross is the cornerstone of the preparation that he's talking about. Because that means that the work is already done. The victory is already here. This is not some future state to look forward to. It's a life-giving triumph that we claim now. Stop believing that life is just going to be terrible and the only thing that you can do is try to hold on until Jesus comes again. That is not the life that Jesus Christ has planned for you. That is not the mission that Jesus Christ has planned for you. That is a lie of the enemy telling you that this life is terrible and nothing is gonna be good until you get to eternity. All of it is a lie to prevent you from fulfilling the purpose that God has in your life and the purpose that God has for Brookwood Church. It's not just for eternity. We grab hold of it now. Look at what John 10, 10 says. Many of you are familiar with this, but you need to go beyond knowing it and start believing it. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that they may have and have it abundantly. It's the thief that gives you a troubled heart. He comes to steal your peace and kill your spirit and destroy your hope. But Christ came that you would have a full, abundant life right now here on earth, not just in eternity, but today. How would your life be different if you could live a fully satisfied life despite the chaos of everything going on around you? And despite whatever shame or hurt you are holding on to from your past. Christ makes a life of freedom 
and abundance possible through his preparation on the cross and his preparation of eternity. Look at Colossians 2. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature that was not yet cut away. That's what the thief preys on. That's what he tries to prey on. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. It's already done. And in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and the authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Victory is not coming. Victory is already here. Claim it now. We enter into Christ's rest and comfort when we live in an understanding of what he's done to protect us and to prepare for us both now and in eternity. And that's how we learn to trust his path, right? The path that he has us on right now as individuals and as a church, but also our path into eternity, into forever. But the disciples are struggling. The disciples are struggling with trusting that plan, right? And that path. Jesus says, I am going away to prepare a place. I will come back for you so that you can be where I am. And then Jesus says, verse four, and you know the way to where I'm going. You know the way to where I'm going. No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? Now, why do you think the disciples were having such a hard time grasping what Jesus was promising them? What do you think? What's that? Partially, it was because they did not expect a Messiah that was going to sacrifice himself. They expected a Messiah that was going to come and overthrow Rome. So this wasn't the plan or the path that they had. But here's the main reason. The main reason they don't grasp what he's saying is because they hadn't fully and completely grasped the fullness of his identity. They didn't fully understand who Jesus is. Christ offers extraordinary comfort through his person being revealed to me. That's your next villain. Christ offers extraordinary comfort through his person being revealed to me. None of Christ's promises will truly comfort us until we have a deep and personal understanding of who he is. Because what decides whether you trust someone's promise isn't based on the promise, is it? The promise isn't what makes you believe it or not believe it. What makes you believe someone's promise? What's that? If they fulfill it, their actions. But even before that, them. Who's making the promise, right? Whether or not you believe a promise is based on the character and the integrity and the identity of the person making the promise. So Jesus begins to reveal himself more fully to them. 
so that they can trust the promise he just made. Verse six. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would have known who my Father is. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Jesus is saying, I'm everything. I'm everything you need. You don't know your path, I'm the way. You you don't know what to believe, I'm the truth. You're frightened about your future, it's okay, I am life. And then Jesus says, no one, because of this, no one can come to the Father. No one gets to the God except through me. Now, the truth is we could have an entire message on just this one verse. We could have a whole series on just this one verse, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But if Christ is the only way and the only source of truth and the only way to get to life, then where are you left without him? Listen very carefully. If Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, then to be without Christ means to be lost in the despair of lies and death. There is no middle ground. They are as far apart from one another as it can be. If Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, then without him you are lost in the despair of lies and death. Despair is a shackle that prevents us from moving forward in our lives. A friend that I was talking to on the phone the other day said to me, you can't change anything in your life when you are in despair. And that is absolutely true because it shackles us. It's a trap that binds us to the troubles of this world. But things can absolutely change in the person and the identity of Jesus Christ. We are comforted by who Christ is because when his identity is truly revealed to you, then you understand that there is no person There is no situation, there is no spirit that can overcome the victory that he has already won on your behalf. But he's not only the only way to God, he is himself God. Verse eight. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. And Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip? And still you do not know who I am. 
Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why do you ask me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me and does his work through me. Just believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the works that you've seen me do. Again and again, Jesus affirmed his deity in the Gospels. There's one God. The Father and the Son are one. One God with one will. So everything that the Son did was through the will of the Father. So as we're comforted by who Christ is, by the identity of Christ, by his person being revealed to us, we're not only drawing our assurance from the man who sacrificed everything for us, the man who lived a perfect life and never let us down, our assurance is also in the one who created us and created the universe and still even now binds the universe together. When Christ is truly revealed to you, God is revealed to you. Because they are one. Look at Colossians. It says, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are what? I didn't hear you. Complete. Complete. You also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. When you belong to Christ, you are complete. Write that down. When I, but put it first person, when I belong to Christ, I am complete. And the reason that we struggle and the reason that our turmoil and our troubled hearts take over our lives is because we forget that we are complete in Jesus Christ. We forget that we have a new identity when the identity of Christ is revealed in us. Most of our personal struggles, all the things that we use to try to make ourselves feel better, our personal struggles like addiction or anger or food issues, so low self-esteem, codependency, name whatever your coping mechanism is, all the things that we deal with at Celebrate recover, Recovery, whatever it is, most of them, all of them stem from an identity crisis. The symptoms of the disease may be different. Alcoholism looks different than codependency. Drug addiction looks different than low self-esteem. Food issues presents itself differently than other issues. The, the symptoms are different, but the disease is the same. A broken, hurting identity. And we feel incomplete, so we try to compensate or fill that hole in our lives with something to make us feel better, even for a moment. But listen, it is not until we understand who Christ is that we can be comfortable with who we are. It's not until we understand who Christ is that we can be comfortable with who we are in Christ. 
And once we do, then we live with his power in our lives. Instead of the enemy's lies, we begin to have access to the power of Jesus Christ. Christ offers extraordinary comfort through his power in me. Christ offers extraordinary comfort through his power in me. We don't need to walk through life with angst and distress. Because by going to prepare a place for us, Christ left his followers with the same power to do God's will that was revealed in his own life. Do you understand what that means for you? That when Christ left this earth to go be with the Father, he arranged for you to have the same power in your life to fulfill the Father's purpose that was revealed in his life. And I spent years rejecting that truth so I could go do what I wanted to do. I spent years not embracing that because I thought I could find something better. I didn't. And you won't either. You are not going to find something better. So he offers us his power to do his work. Verse 12. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works. How? And why? Because I am going to be with the Father. And because of that, you can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Now, does this mean that you can ask to win the lottery and it shall be done? Does it mean you can ask for a piano to fall on your ex and he shall be squished? More people identified with that than I had hoped. No, we can't ask for those things because what does this verse say? We just read it. What does the verse say is the goal, the purpose of these requests? What? Someone from this side. To bring glory to the Father, yes. And notice how it says that we ask in his name, in Christ's name. What does that mean? Well, the word in, when it says in his name, in Greek is E-N-N. And it doesn't mean just adding Christ's name at the end of your prayer. It means to put under an oath. To bind by authority. Or identity. So you're asking for something bound by the oath of Christ's name, who he is. You are claiming his identity in your request. So as we pray, we better be very careful about what we tag in Jesus' name to at the end. Because we are claiming his identity, who he is, as the oath behind the request. Romans 8.11 says that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is in us. 
So we allow Christ to act through us. Many of you know Galatians 20, right? 2.20. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's Christ's power in us. It is not our power. So we just heard Jesus say, everything I do is the will of the Father because the Father is in me and his words are my words. His actions are my actions. So just as Jesus only worked through the will of the Father, if Christ is in us, we can only work miracles in the will of the Son, which is the will of the Father. But isn't that the exact kind of guidance we need in this troubled life? Isn't it? Because for me, relying on my own will and my own will, wisdom always leads to uncertainty and second-guessing my life. Isn't that true for you? One brave person said, yes, thank you. But having the guardrails of God's plan and purpose and will gives us comfort to navigate through any circumstance even when we don't know what the outcome is going to be. You see how that's really a gift of comfort? Remember last week when we learned how actively resting in Christ leads to acts of compassion, right? Well, where do we get the power and the strength to carry out those acts of compassion? Right here through this promise. We have his strength. We have his power. We should have his compassion. And the disciples are terrified. Why are they terrified? Because Christ is leaving them. But he's explaining to them that by going, he's going to give them the ability through his strength to do everything that they're afraid of losing. And that's highlighted in our last fill-in. Christ offers extraordinary comfort through his promise to me. Christ offers extraordinary comfort through his promise to me. In a troubled world that cannot be trusted, we are comforted by the promise of Jesus Christ because the word of Christ is irrevocable. Look at 2 Corinthians 1.20. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ, our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. He's offered his power to fill his will in our lives and to continue his work in a broken, hurting world. But how do we access that power? How do we know his will? How do we still receive comfort from him? Well, that's part of the promise too. He continues in verse 15. If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate 
who will never leave you. Who has a translation that says something other than advocate? What is it? Counselor. What is it? Helper. Yes, some say helper, some say counselor, some say encourager, and some say comforter. Comforter. Christ tells the disciples he'll have the Father send a comforter who will never leave. And who is that? Holy Spirit. Verse 17. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. And the world cannot receive him because it's not looking for him and he doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. Now, it says here, because he's talking to the disciples, that the Holy Spirit is with them, but later will be in them. That's because Pentecost hasn't happened yet. Pentecost, which is when the Father permanently sends the Holy Spirit to all believers at the beginning of Acts. But prior to that, the Holy Spirit didn't live within someone. The Holy Spirit would guide someone. The Holy Spirit would direct someone, would give them strength, would give them power to fulfill the things that they needed to be fulfilled, do miracles when they needed to. But it didn't indwell them. And that indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which is what we have now, they didn't have it the same way we do. That indwelling of the Spirit is how we have the power of Christ in us because the comforter, the encourager, the counselor, the helper lives in us. So we have more access to God's authority and power than the Old Testament saints. We have more access to God's power and authority than the disciples did at the time of the Gospels. The promise of Christ is that he's prepared everything for you to have victory in this life through who he is and the power he gives you. But maybe the most comforting promise in this world of isolation and devastation is that you're not alone. You are not alone. But that's the greatest lie of the enemy. He tries to isolate us. He tries to make us feel alone in our trouble. He tries to make us feel like we're the only ones. But you're not alone. And you will not be forgotten. The comforter is with you now. And Christ will not forget any of his promises. The last verse from our passage that we're going to look at today is verse 18. He says, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And no, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Don't let your hearts be troubled. I will come for you. It's an echo of what he promised in verse 3, right? When everything is ready... I will come and I will get you so that you will always be with me where I am. I won't forget. So what impossible despair 
are you holding on to today? What circumstance in your life tightens your chest when you think about it? What trial makes you feel overlooked? The thief is going to try to convince you these things are unsurmountable. He's going to try to trick you and lie to you so that you believe that you are going to drown in the mines of despair. But the comforter is here. He's already here. And Christ has already delivered victory. Which is why Jesus says this. I've told you all of this so that you can have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and many sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Jesus has already overcome the world which means he's already overcome whatever you're facing. Don't do it alone. But we have to remind ourselves of that, right? And I said, let's take these steps and let's make them practical, something that we can use. So one thing that you can do is you can take these four points from these fill-ins and you can post it somewhere that you will remind yourself and see it on your fridge, in your office, or whatever. But I think what's even better than that is to copy these points into a journal and keep copying them over and over and over until you believe them, asking God to reveal the truth of it to you. And personalize them. Don't just make it a fill-in. Personalize it to you. Make it your prayer that you're writing to God. Something like this. You can use your own words, but Lord Jesus... Comfort me through your preparations for me and remind me of them. Comfort me by revealing your person to me. Tell me who you are. Show me who you are. Comfort me through your power in me and comfort me through your promises to me. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ, by the oath of what you have promised. And we'll leave that up there for a moment. You can take a picture or you can write it down. But you don't need to use these exact words. But through the oath of who Jesus is, his identity and who he is, his promises are trustworthy and you can claim them. So pray this prayer. And then, very important, be still and let him comfort you. And if you need more help doing that, we are here to walk with you. After we pray, there will be pastors and care volunteers down front, also in the care connection room out in the concourse. If you're watching in our online campus, there's a button that you can click and someone will get back to you to encourage you. You are not alone. Christ will not abandon you. And we will walk with you. Father God, you are a God of hope. And you are a God of promise. And you are a God of comfort. Lord, teach us. Teach us how to accept your comfort. Teach us like that, that upset child 
on the edge of the bed, show us that you are there and that you are present. And we confess so often, we, we ask for you to show up. We ask for the Holy Spirit to be sent, but you are here. Open our eyes to see it. Open our eyes to see your comfort and your protection and let us be transformed by it so we can leave the walls of this church and go find the people in this broken world, in this hurting world who have never experienced comfort and go rescue them on your behalf as your ambassadors, but change us first. And we ask it under the oath of your name, change us as a people and as a church. Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast. We continue our series, Extraordinary, to prepare for next week. Read Matthew chapter 26, verses 6 through 13, and John chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. You can watch a video of this week's message, listen to worship, or even search through our message archives. Visit brookwoodchurch.org media or download the Brookwood Church app. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast to stay up to date with the Extraordinary series. Thanks for listening and have a great week.